Praise the Lord. Let's all stand. This is typically the part where I'd say, so glad to see you, and I am glad to see you, but I just want to get into the presence of God right now. Uh, I had a great time of prayer here earlier, and uh, I'm feeling God. So let's pray. Let's seek the face of the Lord. He is so good to us. Jesus, we worship you. Jesus, we laud and we magnify you. I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for your presence here today. I'm so thankful that we are able to gather together as the people of God. Gather together in the presence of God. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we seek your face, as we seek you, that we'll find you if we seek you with all of our heart. Help us, Lord Jesus, with one mind and with one, with one uh, will and, and one direction. Seek the face of the Lord our God today to be found of you, to hear your voice, to feel your touch, to spend time in your presence. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am so thankful for you. Thank you, Jesus, for your so great salvation. Thank you, Lord, for loving me, for calling me to be your son when I was a long ways off. Thank you, Lord, for your name. Thank you, Lord, for the earnest of my inheritance, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Jesus, for the relationship that you established with me, for the covenant promises that you've given, the exceeding great and precious promises. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are so good to us. You are so good to your people. Hallelujah. I am so thankful for all that you have in store for us here today. Help us to receive the word of truth. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be doers and not hearers only. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be free to walk to and fro amongst the people of God here today, those present online. I pray in Jesus' name that you would meet each and every need, that you would undergird them with strength, that you would encourage them today in the Lord their God to do wondrously, to work gloriously in your name. Thank you, Jesus. Let your name be glorified here today. Lord, we worship you. We worship the Lord our God. We give glory and honor unto the King of kings and unto the Lord of lords. We will magnify the Lord our God together. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity you've given us today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Do you love Him today? Amen. He loves you. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you. You can be seated. God is so good to us. A couple quick announcements before we begin our lesson. Um, if you are of able body, uh, I'm going to ask that uh, if you are, if you can uh, get around reasonably well, uh, you feel like you can do that, I'll leave that up to you. Uh, if you could leave the, the front parking area here clear uh, for those who maybe uh, are a little less mobile, amen, uh, especially during the winter months, the hopefully the sidewalks are, are kept reasonably well, but the streets are not. Uh, they, they are still pretty slippery walking across those, so... Uh, if you can, uh, leave those spots open for those who, who need it maybe a little bit more than, than you and I. Amen. Also, uh, if you do have a, if you were issued at some point in time a key to the church or a key to the garage, if you could let Sister Shepherd know that, uh, we want to get a record of that. Uh, 
we want to know who has keys and who doesn't. And if you need a key, uh, we can we can take care of that as well. Amen. All right. Review from last week. We talk about Daniel and how that his success in a strange and, and weird land, a strange and weird culture, uh, he was taken captive and thrown into a situation that he had no control of. And yet he remained faithful to the Lord his God in all that he did. And his success, his promotions in that land were attributed exclusively to that, to his obedient faithfulness to the Lord his God. He was promoted because God gave him both the king's dream and the interpretation. He got victory over his enemies, not because of his political shrewdness or his court savvy, but because God fought for him. And isn't that a lesson for us today? You don't have to be the sharpest knife in the drawer. You don't have to be the the most savvy. You don't have to be the, the most intelligent, the most powerful to do anything for the Lord. All the Lord needs is for you to say yes to him, and he'll take care of the rest. He created you the way he created you, and he understands who you are. He understands that you have strengths. He understands that you don't have some strengths. Amen. But he will use you mightily if you will continue to remain faithful and obedient to the Lord your God. Amen. We also saw that Daniel faced perhaps the greatest trial of his life simply because he would not conform to the lifestyle of those around him, but he stayed faithful to God. Amen. Even when it was expressly forbidden on pain of death, he continued to pray to the Lord his God three times a day. In fact, he was so consistent with praying that his enemies were banking on the fact that Daniel would continue to do so. Their whole plan would have fallen apart if he would have simply stopped praying. But they knew he wouldn't. That's why they did what they did. They knew he wouldn't stop praying, even if it were a death sentence to do so. There are Christians in the world today that will stop praying at the drop of a hat. I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I got other things going on. I'll do it tomorrow. They'll stop reading the Word of God for any reason at all. They'll stop coming to church for no reason at all. We need to take an example from Daniel here, who remained faithful and consistent in his prayer life, in his service to the Lord his God, no matter the cost. Whether our circumstances turn for the better or for the worse, we're called to remain consistent and steadfast to God, faithfully obedient to God throughout every situation. Amen. And when we are, I promise you, according to the Word of God, God will be with you. He will walk with you if you remain walking with Him. Our daily devotions. Day one, Duchess Maria Pavlova was a member of the Royal Romanov family in Russia. She was displaced during the uh, French, <laughs> Russian Revolution, uh, and she became an exile, ending up in an embroidery house in Paris. High society pressured her to abandon her Russian influences, but she refused, staying intentional in her desire to keep her identity while living in the Parisian culture. Amen. As Christians, the, uh, the parallel is obvious. We also live in a foreign culture. This is not our home. This world is, we're, we're passing through. 
We're on a pilgrimage. We're sojourning. We're wayfarers. We're looking for a home that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. It's not here. But while we're here in this fearful fallen place, we must be intentional in maintaining our Christian identity. We must continue to do those things that separate us and identify us as people of God. Amen. Day two. Princess Ethelberga remained a Christian while living in a pagan culture. Because of her consistent and faithful witness, her husband became the first Anglo-Saxon king to turn to Jesus as Savior. Perhaps our most powerful witness to this world is our actions, our decisions, our choices. What we do, especially what we do when the chips are down, when things are turning against us, when the bank account is empty, when the uh, cupboards are bare. How do we respond then? That's a powerful witness, folks, when you remain faithful to God, when everything seems to be turned against you. Day three, the hard work of thinking, considering, understanding is blunted by amusements and distractions. We've said this before. If you put an A in front of a word, that that means the exact opposite. A theist is someone who believes in God. An atheist is someone who does not believe in God. To muse means to think. Amuse literally means to not think. And amusements are a multi-billion dollar industry today where you don't have to think, where you don't have to consider, you don't have to weigh arguments. Uh, You can just numb the pain. You can just make it all go away. Watch a TV show. Whatever your fancy is. These things keep us from progressing toward goals or growing spiritually. Now, I'm not, I'm not opposed to the occasional game with a friend. Uh, I think that's good. Spend some time with friends, fellowship, play a game of Monopoly, uh, chess. Those are good games. But they can't be our life. They can't be what we live for. There are people that live for that. Is it still football season? Toward the end of football season, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. As an aside, uh, I was talking to someone at work a couple weeks ago about uh, some some Packers game that uh, the 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 one they lost. I uh, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I saw later. I went and I saw the, the recap of it. Wow. Yeah, against the night. Anyway, um there were this guy was saying this guy was saying that uh people were getting so mad they were punching their TVs and and taking them off the wall and throwing them onto the ground. I'm like So so I went that night and I, I looked that up. I had to turn the volume down right away cuz the language was hideous, but but the, punching their TV. One guy took his TV off the wall, threw it onto the garage floor, got in his truck, and did a, uh, a brake stand on his his TV. I'm like, what in the world? They take their amusement seriously. 
that that's worship and that's that's something else entirely but getting back to this because king darius was not distracted by music and food he was able to fully realize his errors and repent he was able to understand what he had done how he was manipulated Day four, we must at all times hold our integrity as being more valuable to us than reputation or relief. Our integrity is important, folks. Having a good name is important. Amen. We must hold our integrity fast, even when no one's watching, even when no one will ever know. We must hold fast to our integrity. Day five. Both Nebuchadnezzar and Darius received revelations of the power and majesty of the one true God. Curiously enough, though, to those who had been given the full revelation, at least at that time, of who God was, Judah and Israel, he revealed himself to them, called them by name, established a covenant with them. They continually rebelled against him. Would King Darius and King Nebuchadnezzar have acknowledged the one true God if Daniel had always complained about his exile? That's an interesting question. Rather than complain about your situation or about what you do not possess, praise God for your situation. Because surely God has a reason for it. Thank God for the things you do possess and be content with what you have. If you needed more, they have in the army, they'd say that if I needed a wife, they'd have issued me one. If you need something, God's going to issue it to you. Amen. Philippians 4, 11 and 12 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, I know how to abound everywhere, and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. 1 Timothy 6, 5 and 6 says, Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen. On to our lesson today, which is entitled... God saved the queen. God saved the queen. Our scripture text will be found in Esther chapter 4. We'll read, I think, the whole chapter. First 16 verses. Not the whole chapter. Esther chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. When Mordecai perceived all that was done... Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry and came even before the king's gate for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. They have standards. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews and fasting and weeping and wailing and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her, Then the queen exceedingly grieved, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai, and to take away his sackcloth from him, but he received it not. Then called Esther for Hatak, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. So Hatak went forth to Mordecai into the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened unto him, and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay, to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. 
Also, he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Susan to destroy them, to show it unto Esther and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go in unto the king to make supplication unto him and to make request before him for her people. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Again, Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Susan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Amen. A familiar uh, passage of scripture to most of us today. Often preached on. Esther becomes queen. The account of Esther takes place in the Persian Empire, who had conquered the Babylonians to become the superpower of the day. <coughs> and... If you discount the genocide the Jews faced uh, in the book of Esther at the hand of Haman, the Persians generally treated the Jews favorably. They were, according to the historical accounts, very religiously tolerant. The decree of Cyrus the Great even reversed the exile and the 70 years in captivity and allowed them to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and the temple. Amen. So all in all, certainly if we view this in in light of historical context, they didn't have it too bad here in Babylon. The queen in the beginning of this book was a queen by the name of Vashti. And uh, the king had a, a great big party. He was entertaining dignitaries. And at one point in the party, he wanted his wife to come out and uh, so the king could show them how beautiful she was. Show her off a little bit. Well, she refused. Here, we see an example of the patriarchy, don't we? This is the patriarchy at work. Now, I say this a little bit tongue-in-cheek, and here's why. Uh, some state that the book of Esther portrays King Ahasuerus also known as Xerxes I, as capricious, buffoonish, and even despicable. Now, please understand, before we move any farther, I'm not condoning the actions of the king here. I'm not saying that what he did was right. But, at the same time, we have to look at these things in historical context. Okay? Uh, They're not living in 21st century United States. They're living in Babylon. Okay. The king's power and authority was absolute within his kingdom. We have difficulty understanding that all three branches of government were wrapped up in one man. 
Judge, jury, executioner. Everything wrapped up in one person. To purposefully reject the commandment of the king was effectively a death sentence. Let's be, let's be real here. When you have absolute power and authority, you do what you're told. You just do it. Because that man can have you killed for whatever reason. Vashti rejected the king's commandment. She could have been imprisoned. She could have been tortured. She could have been killed. Any number of things could have befallen poor Vashti for rejecting the king's commandment. But all that happened was she was put away. When we understand the account in the context of history, their culture, the king was actually rather merciful here, I think, in basically divorcing her and putting her away, and that was it. That was all that happened. And the king, although his anger waxed hot, he did things according to the law. He sought counsel from his wise men. What does the law say? He did things by the book, folks. Their book, not ours. But it was by the book. When seeking counsel from wise men, make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people who fear God. Don't get counsel from great Uncle Bubba, who... Hates God, doesn't want anything to do with God. Don't get counsel from him. What kind of counsel do you think you're going to get from him? Surround yourself with people who fear God. Make sure you surround yourself with people whose advice and counsel is godly and scriptural. Who will speak truth to you, even when it hurts. Esther's selection, once the king's wrath was appeased, he began to look for a new queen. Women were selected from all over his realm to take part in, I guess, kind of a beauty pageant, maybe a contest of some kind, selection process to fill the position of queen. Esther was one of those that were chosen. Mordecai, a relative of Esther and kind of a stepfather, counseled her to keep her Jewish heritage a secret, which she did. Don't let him know that you're a Jew. Esther's kindness and her good demeanor caused her to gain favor with everyone who saw her, including the king. When she came into the presence of the king, the king was won over, and she was selected to be his queen. Now we see in Esther's life that she faced some pretty difficult situations, just like Daniel did. She was also taken from her home. She was told to keep her identity a secret. Placed in this competition for queenship with a lot of other young women from all over the empire. But in her situation, as well as Daniel's, God continued to work in her situation. 
Folks, God is able to work his will out in every situation. Every situation. Weird and strange situations. Impossible situations. Situations where you have no idea what's going on. We don't always need to know what's going on. We want to. We like to. I do. I like to have everything all laid out. Doesn't always work out, though. Sometimes I'm just told to trust. But whatever situation we find ourselves in, God is able to work that out for you. Amen. And when we're in the middle of that situation, it really doesn't seem like it. We see the impossibilities. We see the the hardness of the situation. We start thinking, how is this ever going to work out? But when you are all-powerful, when you're all-knowing, when you can rewrite the laws of nature, what's too hard for God? We understand intellectually who God is when we say he's omniscient. We know he knows everything. He has all knowledge. He has all wisdom. He has all understanding. When we say he's omnipotent, we understand, okay, he's all-powerful. Yep, I get that. I know what the word means. I understand that. But when it comes time to apply his omniscience and his omnipotence to a specific situation that we're facing, we struggle with it. We have difficulty believing it. We keep trying to figure out ways to help God. We keep trying to to figure out, how is he going to do this? I don't see how this can happen. Who cares how it's going to happen? As long as it happens. As long as God works out his perfect will. We're facing a situation in our church right now. Should we look for a new building? Should we try to fix this one up? Because of the handicap issue. And those of you that have been praying about it and thinking about it, how is this going to happen? If we go this route, we got this, 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 this obstacle. If we go this route, we got this, 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 this obstacle. How is it going to work out? I don't know. But God does. Can God take care of that? So easily. So easily. If we'll just give it to Him. If we'll just pray and seek direction from God. He'll open something up. Something from way over here that none of us ever saw coming. How awesome is that? That's why, well, that's one of many reasons I love serving God. Because He's so awesome that way. He just does new things all the time. It's beautiful. It's beautiful serving the Lord. So He can take care of it, folks. He can take care of any situation. And when it comes time to apply those ideas, those, uh, that intellectual understanding to a concrete situation, it translates perfectly, folks. It translates perfectly. That understanding that you have of God, that works in real life, too. It works in your situation as well. To add to Esther's difficulties, we have a man by the name of Haman. 
jocular fellow, by all accounts. Haman was an Agagite, a descendant of King Agag, who was an Amalekite. Queen Esther and Mordecai was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, isn't that interesting? If we look at our biblical history, we can go back a little bit and understand that there was an altercation between someone from the tribe of Benjamin and Agag. A man by the name of King Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. A descendant of Kish. Both Mordecai and Esther were descended from Kish. The Bible says that. I did a little looking into that. Because sometimes, you know, names are used. There are all kinds of robs out there. That doesn't mean that they're me. Uh, that happens in the Bible as well. Uh, so, but, yeah, most everyone agrees that that's the kiss they're talking about here. In fact, there's a rabbinical work called the Targum Shenai, if that's, that's probably not pronounced right, but it traces the lineage of Mordecai all the way back to Kish, and it states this. I thought this was interesting, so I put it on here. Mordecai, son of Year, son of Shimei, son of Shemida, son of Baana, son of Eliah, son of Micah, son of Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, son of Kish. How interesting is that? Interestingly, this same work also traces the lineage of Haman all the way back to Esau. Pretty cool, which is where the Amalek came from. Not hard to see why this is significant. King Saul was ordered to take out the Amalekites, including their king, Agag. He failed to do so, which is why Haman is here in our story today and allowed to wreak havoc amongst the Jews. Interestingly, we see at the end of the account that Esther and Mordecai, they were able to do what King Saul would not do, at least in, in, uh, with the, this descendant of Agag. The problem between the Jews and Haman arose over Mordecai's refusal to bow down to Haman. This caused Haman to blame all the Jews, hate them, and want to destroy them because of one man. That's healthy. That's a healthy reaction there, right? Not at all. Because one man frustrated him, he wanted to wipe out the whole race, the whole, the whole nation of, of, of the Jews. So Haman has to plan to wipe them all out. But he'd need the king to buy into it because he's the one that has all the power and has all the authority. This king, like the king in Daniel's time, was easily manipulated. Haman used vague words like a certain people. They don't keep your laws. They're bad people. It doesn't profit the king to keep them around. And the king, not knowing or not caring, yeah, 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 okay, take care of it. He signed the decree to kill all the Jews. Esther soon heard of the decree and of Mordecai's reaction to it. Mordecai rent his clothes and sat at the gate dressed in sackcloth and ashes, crying bitterly. 
What would our reaction be when the enemy comes knocking at the people of God? What's our reaction to those of us, our brothers and sisters in third world countries, in China, who are being imprisoned, tortured, killed? What's our reaction to that? If we're really, truly aware of it at all, we give the usual platitudes. Oh, that's horrible. That's awful. Which is true. But before too long, we're off to something else. The Packers game. The weather. Now, I'm not suggesting that we need to continually mourn and weep and and all of that. I don't think even they're continuing to mourn and weep constantly. But my point is this. There's a war going on. And we need to take that war seriously. We're fighting a battle, folks. And we need to take that seriously. We have been called to be soldiers. We're not given robes. We're given armor. We're given a weapon, a shield. There's a reason for that. We'll get our robes later when the battle is won. But for right now, we have armor and a weapon and a shield. And we are to use those. We are to be proficient in them. We are to go out to battle every day. We are to be frontline soldiers. Again, God's church is not a peacetime church. It's a wartime organism. We are to fight. And in the United States today, in our tender sensibilities, that offends some people. That idea that that we should be aggressive, assertive in our beliefs. Live and let live. Are you saying you're the only ones that are right? Yeah. That is what I'm saying. I'm saying that's what Jesus is saying. He's the only way to salvation. Any other way is false. I heard one guy, one guy was talking about having an open mind and having to, you know, be tolerant of other people. And this guy stands up. I believe Jesus is the only way to be saved and everyone else is wrong. Do you have room in your belief system for me? He didn't. (laughs) He was not at all tolerant of that. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. Tolerance when it comes to truth, folks, that's, we're not called to, to do that. Jesus is the only way. We are to love people. We are to be respectful. Don't slam them and, and, and beat them over the head with it. But at the same time, I respectfully disagree with your position, sir, ma'am, because that contradicts Scripture. When people come against the enemy of God, when people came against the enemy, when people came against the people of God, 
I'll get it out. Mordecai rent his clothes. He dressed himself in sackcloth and ashes. He cried bitterly. He understood what was going on here. He understood the severity of it. He understood the significance of it. What was Esther's reaction? Now, we don't know. I'm going to speculate here. It's based on the account that we do have. But I can imagine Esther felt like she was safe. I'm the queen. And I also think she was maybe a little bit embarrassed of her father-in-law, his reaction. Send him some clothes. Get him cleaned up and dressed right. Mordecai refused. (laughs) Esther, you're going to have to do more than that. Esther 4.14 said, uh, If thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, I think he said that for a reason, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In other words, this is what Mordecai is saying. God will most certainly deliver us from the hand of Haman, with you or without you. But if it's without you, God is going to remove you from the scene and use someone else. If you refuse to step up and utilize the position God gave you, He'll remove you out of the picture and use someone who will do the will of God. The exact same warning comes to each and every one of us today. Answer the call that God has placed on your life. If you consistently refuse to answer the call, God will bypass you and find another. And he'll use them the same way he desired to use you. Okay, so what am I called to do? Well, that's an excellent question. I would encourage you to pray. Seek counsel from your pastor. Trusted men and women in your life. Now, everyone's called to a ministry. But oftentimes, if not every time, we're called to a period of preparation first. You might be called to prepare before you're called to action. So how do I prepare? Study, pray, fast, grow, help wherever and whenever you can. Avail yourself of opportunities God presents to you to minister. Folks, time is short. Time is short. Work for God while it's still light. The Bible says the time cometh when no man can work. Then it's going to be too late. If you've got a call of God on your life, and each and every one of you do, act on it. At the very least, act on preparing for it. Amen. Esther decided Mordecai was right. Her response, verses 15 and 16, Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. Go, 
Gather together all the Jews that are present in Susan and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now Esther's starting to get it. Esther's starting to understand the severity. What's at stake here? And she decides that it's worth the risk. Sometimes God blesses his people with great resources, positions, or titles, not simply so that they can enjoy them, but so that God can use them in that position to work his will. Sometimes acting on the commandment of God will put all those blessings at risk. We might lose them if we obey God. But isn't that exactly why we're here? Isn't that exactly why God put me in this place? Isn't that exactly why God gave me these things? To be used for His purpose. And if they perish, they perish. If they're lost, they're lost. The Lord gives and He takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now we have the benefit of knowing the end of the account as we do in every biblical account. But those going through it real time did not. It's often profitable for me to try to step back and see things through their eyes. How would they have seen this in this particular point in the, in the account? What would they be thinking? What would I be thinking? Going into the presence of the king unbidden... She had to have thought, there's a very real chance I'm not leaving this place. That was the law. Mordecai didn't know how it was going to end. He knew that the Jews would be delivered. He knew that for a fact. He didn't know how it would happen. Is it going to be through Queen Esther? Is it going to be through someone else? None of the Jews who were under this death sentence knew how it was going to turn out. Esther goes into the presence of the king and he extends the golden scepter. Prayer works again. The king asks, what would you you petition of me? That the king and Haman would come to a banquet that I'll put on for you. Fantastic. Esther seems to know the king. Knows that he enjoys these kinds of things. In fact, that's why she's queen to begin with. One of these banquets. So she used a feast to ply the king in order to help him hear her petition. Queen Esther invites both the king and Haman to a banquet. At the banquet, the king asks Esther what she would ask of him. She asks that the king and Haman would attend another banquet that she would put on. After this, Haman was feeling pretty good. The queen only invited the king and me. I'm big stuff. I'm important. But then he walked by Mordecai who was sitting at the king's gate, not bowing again. And all that was gone. His whole evening was ruined now. 
He was furious. Because that Haman, he won't respect me. He doesn't acknowledge my position. So Haman went home and he decided to build a gallows 50 cubits high to hang Mordecai on. Well, that night the king couldn't sleep. So he had the court records read back to him. Because I imagine that would put most anyone to sleep. <coughs> so that would work. And it was discovered that Mordecai saved the king's life and nothing was done to reward him. So, well, Haman, he was going to go see the king to get permission to hang Mordecai. So the king's like, who's out there? Haman, call him in. Before Haman could say a word, Haman, let me ask you a question. What would you do for the man who saved the king? What would you do for the man whom the king desires to honor? And he's like, who else could he desire to honor but me? Well, this is what I would do, O king. This is what I would want done to me. And then, of course, the big reversal. Excellent. Perfect. Go do that to Mordecai. His arch nemesis. His enemy. Well, he did it. I'm sure he choked down every second of it. And he went away even more furious. And even more mad. But then we get to the, the second banquet. And Queen Esther, she reveals everything. She just lays it all out. And the king is hopping mad. So angry. And in fact, one of his servants said, Behold the gallows that Haman built. Fantastic. Perfect. Hang Haman on it. So they did. And this day today in the Jewish culture is known as Purim. Because of pure, meaning the lot. They cast lots to determine which day the Jews would be killed. The pure. Although we may lack personal courage, we can have a courageous faith in our God who can overcome every obstacle for us. We have to come to an understanding that some things are just too hard for us. Some things are just simply too difficult for us. And that's where God steps in. That's where God delights to start working. When it's impossible for us, let me add it. If you would loose God into that situation, as it were, and let Him do what He does best, and trust Him to take care of it for, for us, He does a better job than all of us combined. When we've taken care of our responsibilities and we've done everything that we can do, let God take care of the rest. Amen. The situations we find ourselves in may not be pleasant, but it might be necessary for God to do something awesome. Every circumstance and every situation, we want the blessing. We want, we want the, the mountaintop experience. We want money in the bank and food on the table and, and friends and family and, and a nice house. We want all of that. Nothing wrong in and of itself wanting nice things, wanting to improve your station in life. 
I think that's okay. Keep it in perspective. Don't make that your life. God is our life. Well, there's nothing wrong with wanting nice things. A nice house. We want a nice house. Nice car. But if we don't get the nice house, and if we don't get the nice car, and God has other plans for us, God takes away the car, bursts in flames, the house burns down, the money all it's all dried up. That situation is from God too. If you're continuing to be faithful to God and you're continuing to submit yourself to Him, you're living for God, you're obedient to Him, and bad things happen. Folks, it's for a reason. We can worship God and we can thank God for that situation just as much as the situations that we enjoy, that we want. Because we know the God that we serve. We know His purposes toward us are good and not evil. His plans for us are to advance us and to prosper us, not to crush us or destroy us. That's the enemy's job. That's the enemy's desire, is to kill and to destroy. He's come that we might have life. That doesn't mean a huge bank account. That doesn't mean a nice car. That means abundant life, spiritual life, a life filled with power, a life filled with victory. That's the life that God desires for each and every one of us. And that isn't always possible in my strength alone or yours. But it is possible when I lean on Him, when I rely on His strength and His wisdom and His understanding to come and help me in my time of need. He will most assuredly help you in your time of need whenever it is that we have need of Him. But we've got to trust Him to be able to do that. And the Lord, being so gracious and kind, will give us opportunities to help us do that. He will place us in positions where we will have to trust Him. Amen. We have to grow in faith, folks. Our faith needs to become stronger. It needs to be exercised. Amen. My faith is not exercised when I have money and to spare, food and to spare. My friends are all right here and they love me and everything's going awesome. I don't need faith for that. Where I need faith is when the friends leave and the money's gone and everything's turning against me. That's where I need faith because now I have to trust in God. I have to lean on Him for strength. But in every circumstance, have faith in God and the courage to step out by faith. When we remain faithful to God in every circumstance and in every situation, God will bless you. God will continue to advance you and to move you forward. You may not understand how or when or even why, but when you remain faithful to God in every, in every, every circumstance, when you maintain your integrity before God, even when no one's watching, when no one will ever know, God knows, He sees, and He's pleased when you are faithful to Him. He sees your faithfulness. He sees your commitment to serving Him in every circumstance. And He will bless that. 
Amen. In conclusion, when a terrible problem in life arises, we may feel as though God is judging us. We may wonder what we have done wrong to merit such a response. We may have misread the situation. The Almighty may actually desire to pour out a wonderful blessing for us. I think that's true just about every time. We misread the situation. We think, where is God? Well, God's right there. He's working in this situation. Even Esther and Mordecai faced the challenge of understanding their situations. This dynamic duo likely wondered what the Lord had in mind when Haman and the enemies of the Jews prepared to destroy them. Haman had evil designs, but the Lord had a strategy for the good of the Jews. God radically reversed the situation when King Ahasuerus allowed the Jews to defend themselves. While Haman's decree seemed like the Lord was sleeping on the job, the Almighty actually planned for all the enemies of the Jews to come out of the woodwork so the Jews could defeat them. Legally and in order. Isn't that perfect? How awesome is that? God just set them up. Brought them out so that they could be destroyed. Without Haman's plot, the Jews might have faced sporadic persecutions throughout the Persian Empire. Their adversaries could have risen up against them in different places at different times. The casting of lots for a day to destroy the Jews turned out to be a tremendous way for the Jews to secure their position in the empire. The situation reveals that we must maintain courageous faith even in adverse circumstances. There is no possible way the Jews could have seen that coming. They could not possibly have understood how God was working in that situation so that their enemies would be finally destroyed. But that's exactly what God was doing. And in your circumstance, you're probably not going to understand how, what could God possibly be doing here. He's doing something awesome. Just maintain your integrity. Maintain your faithfulness. Hold out to the end and see what God's going to do. Such was the case when an EF4 tornado slammed the small town of Dawson Springs and other communities in western Kentucky. <clears throat> Maybe some of you guys uh, know about that. Many people lost their homes and their livelihoods, but they were thankful to have escaped, even though the storm had forced them to seek cover in basements and bathtubs. Swaths of entire streets were slammed by the tornado. In a town where everyone could easily identify any street, areas became completely unrecognizable. Volunteers had to spray paint street names on the asphalt so people would know where they were. The situation seemed like anything but a blessing, yet God had a plan. The Lord showed great love through people as many converged on the town, setting up temporary shelters and providing meals. Much like the holiday of Purim, where Jew, when Jews gave to those in need, volunteers provided a great deal of assistance. Although people lost much on a personal level, testimony after testimony proved that God had a plan. Although he would never have wished for a tornado to upend his life, he discovered that the Lord moves in mysterious ways. Like this man, Esther and Mordecai, we should all maintain courageous faith in adverse conditions. With the loss of his job and the devastation in the community, the man had very little reason to hope, yet the Lord intervened by providing him with an even better job. His pay, benefits, and working conditions drastically improved. The Lord had a strategy, and it often works out very differently than we might think. The Almighty often chooses to use us. He puts us in the right place at the right time. Even though we believe in God and have tremendous faith, we may need a push 
to recognize that the Lord has chosen us to be the different maker, difference makers in particular situations. Although we do not solely rely on logic, sometimes the Lord speaks to us logically, revealing how strategically the Almighty has maneuvered our lives for a time such as this. May we, too, face every circumstance with courageous faith in God. Amen. When we're put in circumstances and situations, folks, that we have no understanding of, we don't know why, trust in God. Stay consistent. Stay committed to Him. Stay faithful to Him. And see what God will do in that circumstance. Amen. Let's all stand. Jesus, you're a glorious, wondrous God. In every circumstance and in every situation, we worship you. We praise you. We thank you for the great things that you have done, for the great things that you are doing, for the great and wondrous things you have yet to do. We worship you. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us. Help us to maintain our integrity and our faithfulness to you in every circumstance and in every situation so that your will can be accomplished in our lives. We pray for the remainder of our service that you would bless wondrously and gloriously, that your perfect will would be accomplished here today, that your name would be glorified. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, We'll take a break. We'll be back here at a quarter till for our worship service.